Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 329 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is July 14th, 2014. Got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We've got Chris Swanson, uscfootball.com's newest edition. Well, it's been about a year now since we had him on, but we got to have Chris on the show talking about some recruiting and some team stuff. we got Coach Harvey Hyde here in the first segment, so lots to get to. Do any questions or comments? We love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can give us a call at 206-888-6755, or leave us a voicemail right on our webpage, peristylepodcast.com. And uh, we got Coach Harvey Hyde here in the first segment. I was He was on secret assignment last week. I was uh, up in Oregon for the opening, and I just did a solo show. So apologize we didn't have the coach on then, but we have him on now. What's up, Coach? Well, it uh, I had a bye week. Yeah. I call it a bye week. Had a bye week while you were up uh, evaluating and looking at all the great players that are up in Oregon. You had to have a great time doing that. So I sort of just kicked back, and I went up to Vegas and got uh, a lot of work done up there and uh, getting ready for the football season. Had a chance to go by the NBA Summer League that's going on up there. It was absolutely fantastic to see the group of people. And on Friday night, you couldn't even get a seat. You couldn't even get a seat. People were outside uh, in, in watching. In fact, they opened up the Thomas and Mac and turned on the big jumbo screen so people could watch what was going on in the Cox Pavilion. But uh, had a good time. Now I'm back, uh, back and getting ready for football. We still got a couple of weeks, but uh, when uh, the media day starts, like the media day starts this week, uh, media week I call it for the <laughs> South East Conference. Uh, you know, that's when you start to get ready for football. But when you come back. Uh, media day as a coach and you take your players you get a real feel of what people think of you what the other coaches think of themselves you come back to the office you start putting it together and you really don't relax after great coach i just want to thank our sponsor southern california tickets sctickets.com is the website or you can give them a call at 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for you want to go to concert go to theater, any kind of sporting event, check them out at sctickets.com. They've been helping us out for years here on the Peristyle podcast. Yeah, Coach, with Media Days coming up, uh, there's a lot of uh, tweets going around about the watch list uh, for different awards, which to me, I'm not, I, I like the Media Day stuff. I'm not a big watch list guy when Marquise Lee wasn't even on the uh, Bolitnikoff Award watch list and he ended up winning it. Um, it just seems like this random list of players that, all oh, these guys are pretty good. Uh, let's throw them on a watch list. So, college football has got some weird stuff going on. Maybe the most useless thing in my mind are those watch lists. Oh, I don't even look at those things. I sort of just breeze at them, but I, I don't I couldn't even tell you uh, anything about those, because it doesn't make any difference what the watch list might be. They always have them in the releases. They talk about the guys that have been nominated for awards. Hey, that makes no difference. You got to get into the season and, and start worrying about team play and getting it done. So it's a, it's a time right now where there are summer workouts going on. The uh, coaches 
cannot work with the players, but they're doing these summer conditioning workouts with the uh, strength coaches. Um, after USC's camp, uh, the Rising Stars camp, a lot of the coaches went on vacation. They're probably returning. Uh, I believe they're returning this week. Um, so kind of things are kind of picking up there. Fall camp is coming in a few weeks. But Andrew Hogue had a question. What are the coaches doing? Uh, what are they up to this time of the year? Do they start uh, planning for different game weeks? What are they doing right now, Coach? Well, uh, I don't know what other staffs did and how they broke down their vacation period. I think I've mentioned this on one podcast. I never had our office ever empty. We always had, uh, we broke it down where we had offensive coaches and defensive coaches in the office continuously. It was players visit during the summer with their uh, family members and, and coaches. And I wanted always someone there to greet them and show them around and, and make sure that uh, they were treated properly. So we always had, uh, you know, a two-week vacation. Uh, that's all we took. I mean, I don't know how many weeks everybody else takes, but we took two weeks even as a head football coach. Uh, of course, we didn't have the long hours in the office. You office, you'd come in at 9 and go home at 5. You could do that, and you could work out and have fun and just stay on top of things. But you always utilize your time. You don't waste your time in uh, evaluating your opponents and also making sure your players are going to be academically eligible. I held my coaches responsible for their position, as I mentioned before. Uh, I needed our players academically to be successful so that they could perform for us. And I I held them uh, along with the academic uh, advisors and the academic world to work with us in making sure that happened. I wanted to be advised on what our kids were doing. If our kids were missing class, I expected someone to tell me because I wanted to know. Uh, that way we could assist the academic advisors. I didn't want to talk to teachers. I wanted to talk to the individual himself, which is the uh, player. So we always had somebody there. We always knew exactly academically what was going on with our group, uh, defensive line, running backs, quarterbacks, didn't make any difference, whatever you coached. So you really didn't have time to just go swimming all day or go to the beach when you were on, uh, but you were responsible for the office and uh, anything that could happen in the office that needed your attention, you'd be there. Offensive coaches and defensive coaches. So uh, that's the way I handled it. Uh, I don't know if Coach Sarkeesian or other coaches say, okay, we're all gone. We're all gone for this month. Okay. But as a head coach, I couldn't be gone. I wouldn't be able to be gone without worrying about the office every day or worrying about this kid or worrying about verbal commits or or worrying about who might get hurt in the weight room or worried about uh, who might come on campus that wants to be shown around and doesn't have a chance to meet me. So uh, if that was important to him, so that's what, that's the way we did it. So, you know, you, you work too hard to overlook any one thing. And and that's the way we broke it down. Makes sense. And, uh, you know, he also asked about game planning. Really, they're not doing, and you, correct me if I'm wrong, Coach, but this is not the time to do game planning. You're really focused on your own team now. The, the, really, the game planning stuff doesn't even really start until, you know, later on in fall camp, if not to the end of the fall camp. So it's more about the team getting organized. I mean, they're trying to prepare for fall camp is crazy. you got, you know, one and two practices a day. They're going every day. There's a lot of stuff to get ready. So as opposed to, hey, what are you going to do against Stanford? It's more about how are we going to get this team ready, get organized for fall camp, and kind of get through that. Oh, yes. You put your entire fall camp practice schedule together. 
So you don't, you make sure that you're working on the things that are necessary as you're moving through fall camp, that you spend the necessary time on everything so when it's all said and done and you're ready for your first game, you're ready and you didn't admit anything you needed to do. Now, some things you have to repeat because they didn't pick it up. But you have everything outlined so that when you finish with practice one, you know what you're doing in practice two. And uh, you just keep moving along until you get through fall camp, and then all of a sudden you start game planning uh, a couple days before the week of the game, introducing what you might see as far as defensive alignments and what you want to do, and, de- and the same thing with uh, defense and looking at a lot of offensive formations you might face. On what a team did last year, because in your opening game you're not really sure what the team is going to do to you this year. So you try to cover all the basics so that you really don't uh, find yourself in a position that the kids aren't ready for something. All right. Uh, well, let's move on. We want to talk about the uh, Kenny Bigelow, loss of Kenny Bigelow. He's uh, out with an ACL, uh, knee injury, suffered during uh, you know some of the workouts. Actually, we talked to him last week, Coach, and I guess we kind of tweaked it a little bit once and then hurt it again, but you know, non-contact kind of thing, just summer workouts and uh, just, you know, it's a football thing that ends up happening. He looked good. Uh, he could run around, uh, you know, he could go straight ahead and, and run. It wouldn't be a problem. It was more of the lateral movement. That's where the issue was going to be. So he's prepping for surgery right now and he will be out for the year. Um, so we had Dennis and Melvin both had a question about, I'll, I'll read you them both and uh, you can kind of comment on all this coach, but uh, Dennis in Lancaster said, loves the show. And he said, great job last week hosting it by yourself. Well, thanks for that. Um, with losing Kenny Bigelow, not having a lot of depth on the defensive line, do you believe they will move one of the defensive tackles to the nose tackle position? Or as a player like Cody Temple, ready to step up, uh, ready to step up and make an impact? And Melvin wanted to know, too. He mentioned uh, uh, Cody Temple, but he also mentioned uh, Joey Agallo, I believe how you pronounce it. He's actually a redshirt junior walk-on that played three early games last year. Do you think someone like that is going to fill in for Woods? Uh, or do you think they're going to have to go to a different defensive alignment where Woods comes out, when Woods comes out to get a breather? So how do you think Sark's going to handle this with no Kenny Bigelow, Coach? Well, first of all, when I got the news that he hurt himself, you can imagine how I felt. Absolutely uh, disappointed and also upset. How many times have you heard me talk about summer workouts and kids injuring themselves? We we talk about it over and over and over, the 11-on-11 drills and, you know, and kids getting tired and not having time to rehab their bodies. And, you know, you know accidents happen. But, doggone, I mean, last year it was Mitchell and Farmer. This year it's Kenny Bigelow. I mean, it's, it's terrible, especially when you're inside there. You don't have your knee braces on as you normally do when you practice. So it's it's a difficult thing to swallow. It, it really is. And it's not only tough for the coaches and the team, I feel so bad for Kenny Bigelow, because he was really coming along. He was starting to become really a fine player, outstanding player, and would have been a tremendous player for the Trojans. Now he's going to have to watch and rehab and get back in there and get himself ready for the spring. But uh, what they're going to do with that, I don't know who they're going to move. I don't think they'll change their defensive schemes because they've been working on it the entire year. I think that this Woods is going to have to step up and you're going to have to teach somebody else that position. Now, Temple, when you mentioned Cody Temple, Cody Temple has never been healthy, okay? So uh, nothing against the kid, 
but uh, I wouldn't plan on him making it through a season. He hadn't made it through a season yet or a spring ball yet. So uh, you can't really say, oh, he's our backup, because you really don't know if he's going to be around to be a backup. So you've got to be able to have plans on somebody moving inside, teaching somebody who can play the inside position. Uh, Maybe there's somebody on offense you can move over there. I don't know. Uh, And fill that position. Uh, Who knows? Jordan Simmons. I don't know. Maybe somebody who's not doing that well in offense who can play defense. I'm just throwing this out as, for, for example. Rather than having a great offensive player sit on the bench like Rodgers or somebody if he's not starting and Walker's starting, Rodgers can deliver a blow and is a backup position. So you start to look at your entire roster to see what you can do to have a better football team. Because if you've got a great offensive football team but you can't stop anybody, how does that help you? Right. Especially, what if Woods gets hurt? So you've got to have somebody there that can keep the, uh, the blockers off your linebackers and hold up the middle. So you start looking at your entire roster to see what you can do and what you can adjust to uh, maybe put Mama there. I mean, don't get me wrong, Mama's <laughs> going to be a great offensive football player, but I could see him on the nose body slamming a few centers. Uh, I'll tell you, I know he's picked up Palin and slammed into the ground. Right. And I'm not telling you that he's going to do that, but before we lose and him be a backup, we got to do what we have to do. And kids have got to understand that, too, in the best interest of the team. So you put a 390-pound nose guard on a center that's a powerful kid, boy, you're not asking him to play every down. You're just asking him to plug the middle. And I'm not saying he's good, they're going to do this. I'm just saying as an example to what the question was, what are they going to do as far as a nose guard? And that's where I'm going to answer it. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. And I don't think you can count on – a Cody Temple or a, a Joey, I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name like Ogello uh, or Ogello. Um, I didn't realize he had played in three games last year until I looked him up uh, for this question. But we've seen, you know, people that, you know, Temple's been hurt a lot, like you said. Could he come in healthy and could we see him practice throughout fall camp and he'd be a real option and, and be a solid backup for Woods? It's certainly possible. But like Coach said, I don't think you can count on something like that. And we've seen walk-ons come in and, and do well before with, uh, you know, Nathan Gertler came in and, and was, you know, Matt Khalil's backup and, and did well when Khalil would come out of the game. So I think it's a possibility that something like that happens. But I think everything has to work exactly right for it to happen. Could someone be moved? Yeah, I mean, you could see a Jordan Simmons or, I mean, I don't know about the Mama, maybe. I mean, he's got good, nice, good feet. Uh, he could come in there and, and, and plug the middle a little bit. But I kind of think that this is going to be more about the rotation than – uh, do they have to have this guy, this guy, this guy on the depth chart behind uh, Antoine Woods? Yeah, if Woods gets hurt, then I think you have to, all bets are off. You have to figure something else out. But Woods would come off the field in nickel situations, so they could do a thing where there's really no nose guard when they're playing nickel. Uh, I do think they're going to take their best guys along the defensive line. So there's you know Williams and Woods and uh, J.R. Tavai and you know Palon and and Simmons and you know you got five guys there. That you know you can move around and, and and put into, you know three or four different spots. So I think they can do some some you know fudging with that. It probably screws up the rotation uh, more than anything. Uh, but it will be curious to kind of see how they handle that. I think there's a, a few different avenues they can go. And while Cody Temple could come in and do it, like you said, Coach, I just don't think you can 
count on that unless he comes through fall camp and is completely healthy. And he hadn't played that much. And, yeah. uh, he He's not even in shape at all. So, yeah, I, I hope he can. But I wouldn't plan on that. And as you said, you know, you could move Palin down and he could be the nose guard and you could put – I hope Townsend is, is ready to play. He might be able to play that defensive end position too. So, who knows? Or tackle, whatever you want to call it. But uh, you've got to be able to have players on the field. It doesn't do you any good to have players watching the game with you. So uh, you look at everything on the whole team on what's your best way of solving this problem. And, again, I want to say how bad I feel to Kenny Bigelow because I remember when we had him on our recruiting show the day he signed when I was doing the show on ESPN, and I congratulated him, and he came. He was an early arrival, and he wanted to play. He loved USC. Now he had a great spring, and he was ready to go, and then he had this injury, an on-call for injury. I mean, nothing's – you know, in the old days, Ryan, let me tell you this. In the old days, they didn't have such things as MRIs. They would X-ray it or they'd rub it off, and this kid would play next year or this year. But now with the MRIs and the ways of being able to find things, uh, this is uh, another safety way of protecting this kid for future years of uh, playing football. Yeah, and I, you know, I think you have a really good point too, Coach, with uh... – with Greg Townsend, I think there's guys that are backups that not necessarily back up at the defensive tackle spot because you know there's really no no one else there. Um, but is it Greg Townsend come in, and if he can come in and make a significant contribution, it allows you to move some other guys over. And I think you can you can play more with that. So I think that's where you're going to get help more from the outside, the defensive end guys. If some of those guys step up and can play, we already know like a J.R. Tavares played in the middle. You know, he can play outside, he can play you know inside. He's a versatile guy. He thinks someone like that really helps. But if you get another guy or two that can kind of step up, even a young freshman coming in, and they can take one of those spots and, and fill a role, I think it allows the coaches to kind of move some other people around. So, uh, you know, I think Cody Temple would be great if he was able to come in and, and be the backup. Woods plays most of the reps, but Temple comes in and fills in well. But I think it's a long shot at this point. Not that couldn't happen. We just haven't seen it yet. He hasn't been healthy. It's nothing, like you said, you can count on. You know, one thing I want to ask you too, Ryan, and uh, this is off the topic, but have they set the times yet and days of their practices for fall camp? You know, the rumors were that it's going to be uh, a morning thing, not as early morning. It's going to be around eight, and that people kind of talking about it like it's a, like it's a, it's done deal. But we haven't really seen any official word. That's just kind of what we are hearing uh, in circles in the circles there. And yeah, I know we, there were some academic problems by having. Uh, practices in the morning. It was really tough on the players, and maybe you know if if that's the way Steve Sarkeesian's going, they can change the schedule around a little bit so you don't you're not waking up as early and you're wiped out for the rest of the day when you're trying to do class. So I think it's going to be a little bit later. You're not going to have like the super early morning meetings and and guys waking up at five in the morning. But we don't know for sure, Coach. That's just what we've you know we've kind of heard around the the water cooler, but we haven't you know we don't know it specifically. We haven't had a a schedule come out from USC that says that's what's happening. Right. I wanted to ask that because I haven't heard anything. And, uh, you know, uh, they've tried both under Lane Kiffin. And I just wondering what Steve Sarkeesian's plans were. Yeah. What do you think, Coach, about practice? I, mean, I get the arguments that you could you kind of screw you up for the rest of the day and it could hurt you academically. But I think there's, it, you know, I think there's pluses and minuses. But what, what do you think about the morning practices? Well, I, I don't like it personally. I mean, uh, I, I think kids need a social life. 
I think kids at night, if they're not studying or when they have their studies done, should be able to go out and have a pizza or do something. And right now, kids, when they know they have to practice in the morning and and go to bed at 9 o'clock so they can get up at early hours, because if you practice at 8, Ryan, you got to get up still at 5, 6, you got to eat, you got to get taped, you got to go to meetings. I mean, really, it, it, it's it's a hardship on these kids, and it takes away a lot of their social life. And they're not happy about it, and they showed it. Uh, the year they did that, their academic uh, grade point went down. Didn't help. I think kids like to go to school like a normal kid does, get up in the morning, go to class, have a normal life, and then go to work in the afternoon. Yeah. Go to, go to work in the afternoon, just like you do, and get it done, and then go home, have dinner, then go home and study like all students do. So uh, that's what I have voted for, and I think that, you know, there's no one way of doing it, but if I was doing it, that's what I would do. And if you ask the team, ask the team if you want morale. What would they say? What do you, you know? You're around the players all the time. They'd want it in the afternoon. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Well, t- they try to be politically correct about it, but once once we get official word, we'll start asking the guys what they think because they most of the guys have seen both. They've seen morning and they've seen afternoon. So we'll see if it goes back to morning, uh, kind of what they think. Um, we had, I don't know, Coach, uh, there was a, a tweet that went around, and Ed Orgeron was going to be on a radio show. I believe it was in Arkansas, talking about coaching and SEC football. So I tuned in on, online and got to listen to him for a while. It was good to hear his voice again. Uh, you kind of missed that, not hearing it anymore. But he, he the, the gist of it, he was talking about he does want to get back into coaching. He's really enjoyed being a dad, you know, and being with his family for these last several months. And uh, But, you know, he would like to get back. Uh, into coaching and it, it didn't sound to me like it had to be a head coaching decision I mean a head coaching position um, you know he could be NFL or college but he'd prefer to do to do college but he you know he, he wants to get back you know coaching young men so Paul wrote in and you know he saw my tweet I believe and he said would it be great to see him and I would love to see USC welcome him back um, just want to kind of get your thoughts on the the Ed Orgeron situation would it be a possibility that he ever came back well, let, let me let me put it to you this way. I'm an Ed Orgeron fan. I've known Ed before he even came to USC. I know his family, his kids, and the whole package. Um, no one felt worse about what happened to Ed Orgeron than myself. Not that uh, he didn't get the head coaching position. It was the way it was done. Emotionally, uh, he uh, almost had a nervous breakdown over it. He may have. And he wanted that job so badly, and the way it came down, it it, it really, uh, uh, you know, made him wonder what he was doing. Uh, So he's out of coaching. Uh, Would he come back to USC? He may not want to. I think right now USC has a staff there that is accomplishing currently what Steve Sarkeesian wants done. And sometimes uh, the news of Ed Orgeron coming back, you don't have an opening, first of all, at USC. If you came back as a development guy or came back as a recruiting coordinator or came back in another capacity, I could see that. If he came back under another coaching staff, if someone, Steve Sarkeesian, moved on or something happened uh, as far as another coaching staff, I could see that. But coming back now under the current situation of where he was not selected uh, as the head football coach and 
did not want to stay as an assistant football coach, uh, put him in a position right now with USC, probably wouldn't be in either person's best interest. As far as the football program at USC, they more or less uh, have uh, separated that. They've got a defensive line coach that's there. It might be best even for Ed Orgeron because of memories and seeing these players and, and all of that mentally not be good for him or healthy because he'll always remember what happened there and the great uh, experience he's had at USC. It's probably best for him, for his family and himself, to get another coaching position somewhere where he can really, uh, again, excel at what he does because he's absolutely the best. And, uh, and that'll happen. I think he's a college guy the whole way. I think he should be an assistant coach the whole way. He's great at what he does. He loves kids, and he will be a great coach for some university. As a head coach, too. Don't let me just say limit uh, the assistant coaching. And, uh, as a head coach, and and uh, and that's where I would be if I was him. Uh, it uh, he's been through some difficult times here. He struggled with this, and he's been with his family. And now it's time to – he's too young to not coach. Yeah. He's too young not to do something that he loves. So uh, just like me, when I got out of coaching, I'm doing what I'm doing now to keep me attached to young people. Keeps you young. So uh, that's where I feel on this. No, I agree with you, Coach. And it, you know, Is there a situation where he could come back to USC? Yeah, but I think – a lot of factors, a lot of things would have to happen. I think time is probably one of those factors. I, I wouldn't expect it to happen anytime soon. Uh, you know, maybe he gets a head coaching job at a small school. Maybe he becomes a, you know, line coach at like LSU or something. Who knows? And then it ends up, you know, kind of coming back later. Even under Sark, I could see it happening, but I, I don't think it could be his next job would be coming back. So some time is going to have to to go by. I think he's going to have to probably do something else first. Could he eventually come back to USC? I wouldn't rule it out, but there's, I think a lot of things would have to happen between now and then. I agree with you. I agree. I think, it, like I mentioned, in both sides, in his interest and USC's and the football program, I think it's best for both to stay and go different directions right now. But, you know, I didn't think they should hire Lane Kiffin, <laughs> but and they did. Uh, I really didn't think they would hire Steve Sarkeesian because of the ties to, to Lane Kiffin, and they did. And we know, one didn't really work out. We'll see how – I'm, you know, definitely changed my mind on the, the Steve Sarkeesian stuff. I've, I've been impressed with what he's done. But we've definitely felt like they shouldn't go in a certain direction or wouldn't go in a certain direction before, and they have. So it's really – everything's up in the air, Coach. If he'd have stayed, if he'd have stayed immediately when it all happened and they hired Steve Sarkeesian, he says, I'm a Trojan forever, as he said when he left. If he'd have said that and been the defensive uh, line coach and continue at recruiting, it'd have been awesome. But again, it'd have been a tough situation for Steve Sarkeesian at the same time, because he was so big as far as a part of the USC football program. That where would the kids' loyalty be? Would they be with Orgeron or would they be with Sarkeesian? Uh, whose name is bigger at USC, Orgeron or Sarkeesian? So there was a lot of things there that had to be ironed out. And Ed Orgeron is Ed Orgeron. Uh, you, you can't miss it on or off the field. You know who he is. And uh, it, it, it worked out this way, and this is the way it is, and you move forward. All right, well, we got one last topic, Coach, and we love talking about 
alternate uniforms. Um, we've oh, seen, no. yeah. So there was a picture that got tweeted about around. There was a shiny USC helmet that I don't know where it really came from. Um, but we also took some pictures from the latest USC summer workout. And this is really just the guys, you know, they, they do their conditioning workout. They try to get them. They usually buy them like t-shirts that are all the same matching t-shirts. And these ones were happened to be black. So everyone was wearing black. I tweeted some pictures out of those and, and a lot of fans are going crazy. Like you can't do black uniforms. These are just workout. Like they're just workout top. They're just t-shirts they're wearing to work out. And it's not a uniform. Um, but Ed called in and I, it was a, about a two minute message. So we couldn't play the whole thing, but I wanted to give you like the gist of what he was talking about. He wanted to see, he would like to see some variety in the uniforms to help draw in more players. He doesn't want a mass change, but a little bit of variety like Oklahoma did recently. I, I'm I'm not sure what Oklahoma did. I'd have to look that up, but I don't know. You might know, Coach. I've seen him. Okay, and he says, but he wants to have the kids. They're that are, ugly. Okay, so he wants the kids to have fun along the way. He says it's the inter- This is all about entertainment, and you LA's in the inter- LA's the entertainment capital of the world. That's where USC is. So he wants to see. A, he didn't want a mass change, Coach, but he wants a little variety. He wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, what good does it do, really? You know, players now. Oregon started all of this, and um, they have a variation of a hundred different types of uniforms they can wear. I, I keep saying, why do you need a new uniform? Why not keep the tradition of your of your university? I think a lot of it comes from the pressure that maybe the suppliers put on the university because they give them everything. They give them everything free. And, of course, they want different uniforms so that, and they probably put in the contract, you have to vary your shoes or uniforms or whatever so that uh, we can sell more. I'm not sure. Now, I'm not saying that's definite or what's in their agreement, but I've always liked a standard uniform, a traditional type of uniform with no name on the back because I've said it before, and, Ed, I, I, I appreciate your feelings, but if you're a football player, people will find out what your name is. If you're a football player, it doesn't make any difference what type of helmet you wear or the color of the helmet. You wear the color of the university and represent the university. I saw a picture, too, of some ballet shoes that they sent out. I don't know if you've seen these tweet or whatever it might be or email of these shoes they're looking at. I don't know if you've seen them, Ryan. I did. I haven't seen those, no. Oh, wait till you see how sweet they look. <laughs> No, really, you know, what's wrong with being a regular football player and wear a football uniform? What I think they ought to worry about is wearing the proper protective equipment, covering your knees, covering your tailbone, covering your thigh area, and enforce those rules. If you look at kids today, they don't even have a knee, uh, knee pad anymore. It's way up above their knee. The pants get getting shorter and shorter and shorter, and in basketball, the shorts get longer and longer. <laughs> so, you know, I, I really think that you should focus on that more. But if uh, that is what players will come to a school for because you have great or funny-looking uniforms, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if a player makes a decision on that because of, oh, they have six variations of uniform. They were. I, I, I see UCLA made a change last year on a couple of uniforms. And if you look now in the Pac-12, man, what a race it is between UCLA and USC in recruiting. I, I know you follow this. Oregon has dropped down. Other schools have dropped down. 
UCLA and USC really are ahead of the entire class so far for the 2015 signing class, Ryan. And uh, I hope that they don't vary too much of their uniforms. SC probably will, and UCLA already has. But those those shoes that they wore last year, and uh, SC, I don't know if that helped them become a better football team. And, uh, the kids, uh, but you know, no, I like the regular SC uniform that's been there forever. Ed, I respect your feelings. I don't know if the kids come because of the uniform. They come because they love the program. They want to play there. They love the academic opportunities, and that's the kind of kid I want. All right. Well, great stuff again, Coach. Thanks for uh, coming on, and welcome back after the secret assignment. So thanks again for coming on the show. You've been on secret assignment. I had a bye week. Oh, okay. Bye week. I'm sorry. All right. I had a bye week, okay? No more bye weeks. We're going to get into fall camp here, and we'll keep keep rolling along here on the Peristyle Podcast. But thanks again, Coach, and we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to talk to uscfootball.com writer Chris Swanson. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. And I don't know if we've had this guest on before, but he was our newest member of the USCfootball.com team. We got Chris Swanson joining us. What's up, Chris? How you doing, man? Good, Ryan. How are you today? Good, good. I, I don't have we had you on the show. I think we did before at least once, right? Yeah, you had me on for a uh, a free version of the recruiting podcast back before uh, signing day. Okay, cool. So that was uh, fun stuff. Yeah, back then. <laughs> it's always fun on the podcast. There's no question about that. We try to have a good time, buddy. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's good. But we, you know, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, you've been doing a great job uh, on the site. Um, I think what you know. We got a bunch of questions to get to, but I know you were down at the uh, the ba- I think it's called the Battle at the Beach, yes. uh, down at Edison. Maybe you want to give us if you want to just kind of talk a couple minutes about what you saw down there, some of the USC targets and stuff. Okay, um, yeah, uh, really, just absolutely loaded event. Um, one of the best in Southern California, I think. Uh, one of you know someone even just Deshaun Holiday compared it to the opening. Even said you know there's a lot of talent out here. Um, there is, there's plenty of USC prospects, uh, starting with Junipero Serra and Gardena. Uh, John Houston didn't play. He was he sat out, uh, but Serra was still loaded. Deontay Burnett is a guy they're looking at. Uh, wide receiver has offers from schools like Miami and Oregon State. T. Martin actually told him that he wants to offer him. He's just waiting to get permission from the USC coaching staff, but he had a heck of a day catching the ball. Uh, I watched him in his first game against Corona Centennial, which is just an absolutely loaded team as usual too. And, uh, I, you know, multiple touchdowns, uh, long, deep balls, just going deep, no problem, catching everything that came at him. He looks like a USC caliber receiver and a guy to keep your eye on in the future because USC needs receivers and they need to offer some of these guys soon. So he's someone to watch 
definitely. And then, you know, they obviously Brandon Byrne was there. He looked good playing safety and receiver. Blake Walls, who's still sitting on that, just that offer from Florida State, but he was there playing outside linebacker. And uh, Sarah went pretty deep in the tournament, too, uh, which is no surprise. Uh, then Santa Margarita, you know, you, you have uh, KJ Costello, 2016 quarterback, doesn't have a USC offer yet, but seems like that could be coming soon. He has offers from schools like Florida State, Tennessee, uh, you know, national interest, really good looking quarterback. Rick Wade is on his team. He was there as well playing tight end. Didn't have a USC offer at the time, but now he does and USC is in his top three. So he's definitely a guy to watch. He's going to commit before the uh, the season starts. Uh, they went really deep in the tournament as well. Uh, the tournament was just loaded with quarterbacks too, uh, including Malik Henry, who USC has offered. He's the other 2016 guy. Uh, we don't feel like they right now USC. It doesn't seem like has a great shot at him, but there's a long way to go. So, uh, and he looked. He looked really good, but yeah, it was it was completely. Low. Imam Marshall showed up. His team wasn't okay. even playing. Oh, uh, nice. Okay. So, yeah, it was just so many guys. Great what? tournament, really. Nice. Yeah, we I mean we know some of the events recently. This was a team event where high school teams participate. Some of those all star. Most of the other events in Southern California, the seven on seven teams. It's their their kind of travel team or whatever. It's like an all star team. And we've seen a lot of no-shows at some of these other events, so it's good to see that a lot of guys showed up for that. I guess it's with your high school team, it's probably hard not to show up. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, you know, the high school coaches, some of them don't really care about these things, so yeah, you know, guys can get out of it. I just want to mention one more guy I forgot to get. Dominic Davis, the tailback uh, from uh, um, Alemany that USC just offered. Tiny okay. guy. Saw him out there, and at first look, it was kind of like, okay, what? why is this guy special? You know, he's not really that big, but after watching him play in 7-on-7, seven seven, it's obvious that he is just fast and shifty, and he's a guy that's going to be exciting wherever he ends up playing. I love watching those little running backs in the 7-on-7 seven seven things. They can just tear it up and just cause yeah. all kinds of problems. Exactly. They, <laughs> those events are made for them. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Uh, well, you mentioned um, – the opening, yeah, we saw John Houston from Sarah up at the opening. He didn't participate. He was actually in Baltimore uh, at the five-star challenge, and you know he did a little bit of stuff, but it looks like he had some kind of back injury. So I'm not even sure why he went to the opening because he really didn't do anything up there. Um, but he's a five-star player here in Southern California, uh, so we'll see. I didn't get to see a whole lot of him this summer because of that injury, but you know he's still around. It's not a guy that needs to prove anything, so I don't think that's a a real big issue, but. Uh, we had a. We'll get to some questions, but we did have a question about the opening, and I was up there, so I can take this and get your comments on it too, Chris. He's. Uh, it's from Ron. He wanted to know what my impressions were of Ricky Town at the opening, and it's Christian Kirk on the USC radar, and both those guys were up there. And uh, Ricky Town, I guess the best way to describe it was kind of a roller coaster uh, event. They had the the Elite Eleven first, and he was kind of. There's 18 quarterbacks up there. He was kind of in and out of the 11, depending on which day. Um, but we got, we put a pretty good video up about with, uh, Yogi Roth, former USC quarterback coach. And, you know, he's a current quarterback, uh, coach now with doing stuff with the opening and a, a host on the PAC 12 networks and a host on ESPN, all kinds of stuff there. But he had some really interesting things to say about Ricky town. So I definitely want you to check out that interview. You can see it up on, uh, 
uscfootball.com. But he really had an up and down day. Um, the first day of, uh, you know, seven on seven, he ended up throwing. They, his team went 0 3, and he threw four picks in the, the two games that he was playing in. They basically, there's three quarterbacks on a team, which kind of stinks because then you only get to play every, you know, a third of the time. So he played the very first half of their first game, and then he played the last half of their third game. Threw a couple touchdowns, but had four picks as well. His team didn't win a game. And uh, then during the playoffs, uh, he didn't play that first night, ended up playing, and uh, just started off on fire. Like, he he was, he was started throwing touchdowns again. He you know, really limited the interceptions. He did throw a pick six. He went head-to-head against Josh Rosen's team, which was certainly a higher-seeded team, and he ended up beating him head-to-head. And he was a hot hand, and uh, his head coach was Willie McGinnis, you know, former USC great. They let him play the rest of the way, and uh, you know he just kept throwing touchdowns, wasn't turning the ball over, and they made a run all the way to the final. So it was pretty impressive for him to turn it around that quickly, um, you know, going zero and three, and and those four picks and and basically one game of play to make it a run at the finals. And I think it helped him too to to get a lot more reps. And he's not a guy that was you know living on the seven on seven circuit, so you hadn't seen him a lot out there. So maybe there's some rust. And stuff going on there, but he was really impressive out there. And you know, you mentioned Christian Kirk; he's certainly on USC's radar, and he is definitely a player to watch. He was super impressive uh, in there. And the only problem was, you know, Texas A&M is a big, uh, you know, he's, he's he's big. You could you could see Christian Kirk end up in the SEC, and Texas A&M would be a great spot for him. But Kyler Murray, who's their their star quarterback, that Texas A&M is a Texas A&M commit. He was his quarterback on the seven and seven team, so he threw the ball to Christian Kirk. Quite a bit. We talked to Ricky Town, who said he's recruiting Christian Kirk. Tyler Murray said he's you know recruiting Christian Kirk. So he's a hot commodity right now. I could see him moving up in the rankings. Just was really impressive. And and like you mentioned, you know that, those little shifty running backs. I mean, he's a wide receiver, but he's kind of one of those guys that just gets open, has great feet, and he always seems to be in a place where he can catch the ball. And the quarterback just likes to throw it to him because every time they look up, there's nobody around him. So both those guys, uh, you know, Christian Kirk had a great. A great, you know, week up there at the opening. Town a little up and down, but he finished really strong. Yeah, um, and both those guys, you know, just dripping with talent. Obviously, Christian Kirk is a guy that I know. One of our analysts, I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to get him in trouble, but he <laughs> wants him as a five star, you know, uh. prospect. So he's definitely on USC's radar uh, if you're that kind of talent in, in you know the region. And with Ricky Town, you know. He, uh, you obviously have a better understanding of what he did at the opening than I do, but you know, it, for me, it shouldn't really matter that much what these kids are doing in, in these events because we know he's dripping with talent, and that a, a lot of quarterbacks in California are this year. So it's nothing to worry about, I would say. With no, him. yeah, I agree with you. I mean, he, you know, there's people are going to critique every movie makes and all that kind of stuff, but you know, that's. It, it was tough. It was a little up and down, but I think the way he finished, he finished so strongly and was able to make that run. You take an zero and three team to the finals of the tournament. You know that's not that's not too bad. Yeah. So uh, you know, kudos to uh, Ricky Town for doing that. Speaking of uh, quarterback recruiting, though, we had a question from Anthony. Chris, I wanted to let you talk talk about this here. It says uh, Anthony from Memphis, all the way from Tennessee. Nice. Uh, I would like to know why is Coach Sark recruiting more than one quarterback? Jalen Green is progressing better than expected, and Taking just Ricky Town seems perfect, given that Brown, Green, and Town giving giving Brown, Green, and Town time at quarterback for years to come. That's uh, Anthony. Um, I think there's 
a couple of reasons they're doing this. Um, I think that one of the, yes, Jalen Green is progressing well, but I think he's still a project and, you know, a guy that you want to have in the competition, but you're not saying we know he's going to be a starter down the line. So I think there's that. I think the fact that they have 25, they feel like we can take two quarterbacks, you know, in, in a big class and it might be the time to do it. Uh, that since they know that they're going to have 25 guaranteed. And even though they're off probation in the next couple of years, they might not have those numbers just because smaller classes are going to be the ones that are graduating. So it might be the time to take two if you're going to do it in the near future. The other thing is with this new offense, uh, we've talked to the coaches a lot and we always hear about how, yeah, it's a pro style, but it kind of looks like a spread. It can do some spread things. We've seen you know, some zone reads out there with Cody Kessler, you know, and a running back. And we've never seen, really seen zone reads in a USC offense unless it was a wildcat uh, situation. So the offense could evolve in a different direction in the future, I think, if if the coaches feel like it's in their best interest. So when you kind of see these quarterbacks like a Jalen Green or maybe the second quarterback in the class, whoever it might be, that could take it to that, uh, direction of we can have a dangerous zone read play where our quarterback can take it 80 yards. And it's kind of a different wrinkle. And I think that the coaches just want to have options in the near future of, of where they can go with things. So I think that's why they're doing this. All right, cool. Makes sense, Chris. Uh, thanks for that, Anthony. Um, let's go to Melvin. He was talking about Kenny Bigelow uh, being out with the knee injury for the year. We actually got to see him at the last summer workout. Looked fine, was running. Could run laterally, uh, just not um, – I mean, could run straight ahead. Just the lateral movement was what the the issue was. So he's going to he's gonna have surgery and be out for the year. But Melvin wants to know, he says, I assume Coach Sark's going to recruit some nose tackles. Do you know if USC has some recruits targeted for this position and are recruiting them currently? Um, you know, I think that USC is probably for the time being hanging tight with what they ha- with who they're recruiting at that position just because Kenny Bigelow is going to miss this year and the plan is he comes back next year. So you're not you don't really need uh to replace his body for next year. It's not a situation where like if he graduated or something. So I know that they want uh four guys at kind of that defensive end defensive tackle position which I know <clears throat> That the nose tackle seems like a different position, but we've talked to coaches in the in this defense, and those guys will kind of rotate around if they can, you know, if they can play both. So it seems like the goal is to get four guys in this class that can kind of do that defensive end, you know, and then maybe move to nose in certain situations. So it seems like four is uh, is the number, and you know, obviously they have. Uh, uh, Noah Jefferson committed. Uh, Jacob Daniel committed. They're targeting Rasheem Green. I think that too. There, there are guys in the region that if they don't get maybe a Rasheem Green and they want, you know, they need another body. There, there are guys that maybe are committed elsewhere, targets of other schools that, you know, USC might be able to get late. Uh, you look at like Thomas Toki, the Washington State commit. He's a three hundred pound defensive tackle, four star prospect. You know, from according to rivals, uh, Bryden Fehoko, who they haven't touched, that people are complaining about that nasty <laughs> defensive tackle out in Hawaii. You know, there are guys that that they could talk to and that might have interests 
you know, if it does come to that. So I think they're in a good spot, even though Bigelow's out with an injury. All right, that makes sense. And uh, I guess a follow-up to that is from Andrew. What's USC's defensive line this year going to look like with Bigelow out for the season? Uh, you know, I just to be fair, I think it could be an issue because I think defensive line was a, uh, a spot we were looking at as a potential problem with the depth issues before the Bigelow yeah. uh, injury. So it's it's a big concern. I think that when you're looking at it, though, you got to think that the starters probably going to remain the same. You're going to see, you know, Leonard Williams out there. Uh, I expect to see Antoine Woods having an increased role this year because in spring ball, the coaches were just talking about how well he was doing. Uh Constantly, it seemed like, and last year it seemed like they were pulling him out a lot. So I'll, I like, I think his role is going to increase. I think uh, Claude Palin is a guy that uh, that came in, didn't look like he was ready to contribute, and now he does, and now he looks like he's you know going to make a, a big impact on this defense. And Delvin Simmons too, who we've been waiting to see in action for a while now. So it's uh, the starters up front, they're fine. It's just that rotation. Now you're saying, "Hey, is Greg Townsend going to step up? You know, yeah. is Cody Temple going to be healthy and ready?" You're just waiting on a couple of guys uh, to see if they can contribute. But starters wise, they're fine. All right, cool stuff. Makes sense there. Um, let's talk about some skill guys. Tarek had a question: How has Stephen Mitchell and George Farmer looked in summer workouts? And do you see either of them as the uh, number three? receiver this year what do you think about those two guys uh from summer workouts they've looked amazing uh there's a big asterisk on that though is that it's seven on seven there's no pads so yeah a lot of guys look good and then they don't do anything uh when the football season rolls around we've seen that plenty of times but you know usc has depth issues at receiver they're young at receiver so if those guys are ready to go they're gonna play in this offense and uh and from what we've seen, I mean, I, I can't give him anything but high marks so far. George Farmer has really impressed me. Stephen Mitchell has really impressed me. Then there's a couple other guys, too, that uh, Ajana Harris, the, the freshman. Yeah, is he's been great. Easy. Yeah. And but once again, it's seven on seven. So <laughs> uh, I will wait on that question until fall camp, I would say. But right now. I w- I'm pretty confident in both of those guys. And they're both, it's kind of weird watching them, Chris, because they're, you know, different. They're both coming back from the knee injuries. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, they're out there and they look okay. And then sometimes you don't see them for a while. So it's not like they've been out there constantly. Um, we've seen them both, but we don't necessarily, I mean, I don't know if they're like just doing certain things and they can, they're, they're limited, but uh, we don't get to see them out there every day like some of the other guys. Yeah. And well, and then you always have, questions of how many days are they doing rehab or do they just have some other commitment that yeah. they have to get to so there's there's really a lot of questions that go into this that i think we can't really answer yeah, i'm curious to see when they actually do put pads on if both those guys are going to be ready to go basically here in you know three weeks from now whenever it's gonna I mean camp starting here pretty soon but you know recovery wise it looks like they're both pretty darn close you know if they're not there yet they're, they're pretty close and you know, by the time the season rolls around, that's going to be a big question. So I think, I think both have the talent to be that number three guy, uh, Tark. But you know, I, I think, you know, if if the injury's still, in, you know, if they're still worried about the rehab and all that stuff, and someone else had stepped up and they don't need them right away, they might hold them back a little bit too. So I think fall camp will will answer a lot of those questions. We don't 
you know, we know both of those guys got hurt during summer workouts. So it's not like they're working out in the summer is insignificant. I mean, we've seen, you know, major injuries happen uh, during that. It's a necessary evil of the sport. But when they actually do put pads on and everything's going in camp, then I'll be curious to see how many reps they're getting and how how comfortable they seem out there. And that, that should tell us a lot. And let's be clear, too, that if they are 100%, they might have the talent to be the number two guy. Yeah. Either. Completely, yeah. I mean, after Nelson Aguilar, I think there's a lot of uh, open – there's a lot of openings there. So we'll see, you know, who ends up stepping up. But you mentioned that Jana Harris, he's a guy I think can – have a real shot uh, at coming in there. Just been it's seven on seven, but he's that athlete from Crenshaw. Played quarterback most of the time. Where's he going to play? You know, DB. He played corner also in in high school. We didn't really get to see him at receiver much because he had to be lining up under center or in the shotgun, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, but man, he's looked like a just he catches everything, and the quarterbacks see him there. They're already comfortable throwing him the ball. Yep. Yeah, and they talk about him too. Like he's one of those five star guys, and he was really an, an unknown guy that T. Martin found. And got to give props to T. Martin so far. Yeah, they did good. Um, Stay with the skill guys. Uh, Andrew had a question. Uh, what's up with Anthony Brown? Is he still a no show at, at summer workouts? Uh, yes, he is still a no show. <laughs> we, we don't really know what is going on with Anthony Brown. He hasn't been around. So, uh, well, we're you know if we see him, he's going to be one of those guys that we grab right away and ask him, you know, what's going on with him. Yeah, so we just haven't, you know, we haven't seen him out there. You know, guys have different things going on, um, so we're not really sure. I mean, they're, they're, if there's something you know weird has happened, I'm sure USC will make some sort of announcement. But we haven't heard anything uh, about that yet. I know, Chris, you said there were some rumors that he was like moving to to running back or something, but I, I couldn't find anything to substantiate that either. Yeah, no, me neither. So <laughs> he's a guy that uh, we will grab right away. I think if fall camp comes around, we don't see him before that. It might be a first day kind of thing. Yeah, certainly. Right, we'll see what happens to that. Um, and what, we had one last one from Earl in West L.A. And I don't know if everyone saw it was coming around on Twitter and they posted on the Peristyle um, there's a, a new shiny USC helmet. Uh, we don't even know where the picture came from. It could just be uh, some made-up thing. I don't. I, I, it wasn't anything official that came out of USC, but this kind of gets out there and people start talking about it. But do you think, Earl wants to know, will USC be updating its look with shiny new helmets? Oh, um, well, I would say this. that I think that there's always a possibility that they decide to, to do something like that. You see plenty of programs that have a lot of tradition do things like that. But it seems that every year there's a rumor about a USC uniform change and it just doesn't really happen or it's so minor that it's not really noticeable. We've been hearing about black uniforms for, I want to say, a decade now, and they haven't happened. And I don't know. We haven't really seen a big uniform change since that really ugly Trojan on the side of the helmet in the early nineties. And then they changed the stripes, I guess, back to, back to the style from the seventies, yeah. you know, back from that arm, you know, up the arm or whatever. So I don't know. I don't expect a big change. I would consider a shiny helmet, a big change, but we'll <laughs> see. It's something to talk about on the message boards. I it guess. is. I, I don't expect them to change either, but I, I, I couldn't find where this photo actually came from, but once people start tweeting it and they just assume that, oh, this is some official thing and it just could be some kid photoshopping it and making it look like going and putting it out there and then people tweet about it. And 
Um, so I haven't heard anything official on that. Well, we'll uh, that's something else we can ask. Uh, you know, Pac-12 Media Day or wherever, we'll figure out what's what's going on with that. But Chris, great job! Thank you very much for uh, for coming on the show and uh, helping us out and sharing all your insight. Of course, it's my pleasure. Have me back anytime. I'm looking forward to being back. Sounds good. All right, that's Chris Swanson for uh, Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. I'm Ryan Abraham, publisher of USCFootball.com. Thank you very much for tuning in on the Peristyle Podcast, and we'll see you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.